Holy God, today we come before your throne of grace, invited because of your love through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. He has made the way clear for us to be in your presence and to seek your effect upon our lives, to seek your leadership in our lives. We come as individuals to be one body, one brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ, one holy family made so by the indwelling of your spirit in us, making us one in the spiritual blood of our Savior. We come together aware that wherever they meet, there are other brothers and sisters who are now children of God because of Christ's sacrifice and suffering, because of Christ's victory over sin and death. And like every family, Lord, we all have distinctive personalities and we have our unique ways of interpreting the world that we live in and your, your leadership in it. Lord, we are part of a denomination that has set its goal to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world and it's done best through local churches. So that denomination intentionally makes its goal to follow Christ and lead others to follow Christ. So we join in prayer, Lord, for our denomination as they meet to discuss how some will follow Christ and some will choose to follow him in a way that we can't agree about. We join with our denomination, Lord, in asking that all who follow Christ will ultimately be obedient to his leadership, whatever that looks like. Whatever our personal beliefs about the whole situation, Lord, no matter how strongly we are committed to one point of view or the other, we accept, Lord, that there's only one perspective that matters, and it is yours. And so let us be willing, Lord, to submit ourselves to your authority in all things, even if it means giving up our strongly held discomfort. Oh God, we know that when people are courageous enough to stand for something, there will be suffering. And yet, Lord, we know that throughout history, those who have stood for you have suffered, and it was not for nothing. It was something, Lord, that came as your glory and part of your ongoing journey with humanity through the limitations of our time and space. Well, Lord, let this prayer not appear in any way to have chosen a point of view in and of itself, but simply that we would seek your point of view, Lord, and that whatever ours is, we would still remain faithful to you and to each other, that we would still seek greater good Help our denomination, Lord, not so much to maintain its identity or oneness, but to maintain its biblical holiness, its 
scriptural holiness. And let your spirit define what that means to the delegation and to the conference in St. Louis. Perhaps we're wrong. Perhaps we've really been wrong, whatever it is that we are so sure of. Lord, we yield to your authority. We come to this place of worship to yield to your authority. We understand that the first step towards a meaningful relationship with you is to yield, to sacrifice our human will and commit ourselves to your will. Oh God, have mercy on us then, as we cannot come easily to such a decision and then to maintain it. And without your Holy Spirit, without your Son, our Lord Jesus, to look to, we would stagger and fail. And so, Lord, guide each of our lives, we pray, to humble submission to your leadership, whatever it costs us personally. And Lord, make us one, one with each other, one with you, one with all of Christendom, Christendom throughout the world, one with all who call upon the name of Jesus for salvation and leadership. Oh God, our words are limited, and perhaps I could go on for hours. Rather, Lord, I submit to your leadership by taking on the words you taught us and leading as we all say them together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Turn to... Joshua chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Joshua 5, starting at verse 13. That'll be on page 214 in your pew Bible. The heading says, The Commander of the Lord's Army. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a classic poem by Walt Whitman entitled, Captain, My Captain. It describes the captain of a vessel and his crew arriving back at port after a long and dangerous journey. And sadly, the captain is dying or has died, 
it's not entirely clear. And one of his crewmates is lauding his leadership as they finally make their way safely into port, even though it cost him his life. Walt Whitman is said to have written that as a tribute to Abraham Lincoln. And uh, it's very fitting in the way that Whitman would have interpreted. Now today's reading from chapter 5 describes another kind of captain, the captain of the Lord's hosts. And this captain is one who will lead us safely home and will suffer and die, but will conquer death and still be the one who enters into the paradise that he has promised for all of us. And so this captain we're going to see in scripture is none other than our Lord Jesus, this one we've been trying to get to know better throughout this series. Who is this captain? It's Jesus, and I'll show you why I think so. Joshua is a consummate soldier, right? He's standing in the vicinity of their enemy and when a stranger approaches, and so with his sword on his, with his hand on his sword rather, and his arm ready to strike, he says, halt, friend or foe. That's what soldiers do, right? And the answer he gets is neither. That's kind of an interesting response. I'm not here in the capacity that you have just asked. And so Joshua says, well, then what are you here for? And with that, it becomes clear that he is standing before the captain of the Lord's host, the commander of the Lord's army. So Joshua worships him. He worshiped him. In fact, as he's worshiping, this stranger says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Now, by using Scripture as our guide, you know, Scripture is always the best interpreter of Scripture. So whenever you're trying to figure out what Scripture means, before you call Pastor Dan and ask Pastor Dan, look elsewhere in Scripture, and then call Pastor Dan. You probably will find the answer, but if you don't, well, it's my pleasure to help you. Because what you see here is one of those that you can easily interpret through Scripture. If you look at this passage from Revelation, for example, in chapter 22, John has seen the entire revealed uh, vision of the future. And at the end, he says, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Now, go back to Exodus. When Moses approaches the bush that appears to be burning, but it's not, in Exodus chapter 3, a voice says to him, Don't come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So what can we conclude about the captain of the Lord's host, the stranger that Joshua encountered. It's God. It must be God because if it were an angel, the angel would have forbidden him from worshiping him. And he certainly wouldn't have had the audacity to say, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. There's only one angel 
that demanded to be worshipped and would have said such an audacious thing about himself. And it's the one called Lucifer that we know as Satan. So we can surmise that Jesus is the captain of the Lord's army. And the reason we can come to this conclusion, again, is by reading through all of Scripture and realizing that there are certain ways in which God is presented in the three persons of the Trinity, and they're unique in that they're always presented the same way. When God shows up, for example, in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, there is this Shekinah glory. Shekinah is a Hebrew word. It just means an overwhelming sense of God's presence. It means that the light is so bright that you can't stand it. The, the mere presence of God is more than a human can endure. In the Exodus, when Moses is up on the mountain with God, there's a moment when God passes by and he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock because he knows that if, if Moses got the full view, it would destroy him. And so rather, Moses is lucky he can peek around the edge of the cleft and he can catch a glimpse of God's backside as he's going away. And that even has given him a sort of holy suntan that scares all the people when he comes down off the mountain. So this is how God is portrayed. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And wherever God is present, there's always this undefinable, incredibly huge, majestic glory the Shekinah glory. The sun, on the other hand, appears in a human form. When we were reading in the Bible study on Wednesday night from the book of Daniel, we saw the presence of God in a human form with the three Hebrew boys who were thrown in the fiery furnace, and a fourth was in there with them, probably protecting them from the flames. And this was defined by Nebuchadnezzar as some sort of God, but the Hebrews knew that it was their God. And we presume this is God the Son because the Son always appears in a human form that can be withstood and experienced in a way where he provides God's will and God's direction but in a way that doesn't destroy us as if we were in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. And so we see in the Old Testament, the pre-carnate or before the flesh version of Jesus, I believe, because he's the son, God the son. And he is the captain of the Lord's host. He is the Melchizedek, the priest or king of Salem, and he is the one who appears in the fiery furnace. He is the one who's there in a form like a human to represent God, but in a way that is not entirely known until he becomes flesh at the time of Jesus' birth. And so we see clear evidence in the whole scripture that God the Son is visible in a way that we can understand because he looks human enough for us to experience his presence, but clearly has the glory and the power of God in his ability to withstand the fiery furnace, for example, and the way that people are immediately worshiping at his feet. And he doesn't reject that, which is an indication that he's not an angel. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit, who becomes 
visible throughout Scripture in the form of fire and wind and the dove and so forth. The, the Holy Spirit is, is the most ethereal of all the presence or, or, or nature of God that in that when God in the Father's form comes, there's no mistaking it because it's a glory that is irresistible and hard to look at without suffering. And yet there is Father, the, God the Son who is visible in a way that we can accept. But then there's God the Holy Spirit who is not so visible really, but present in an undeniable way that seems to infuse our very lives. Now, I only wanted to take time to explain this so that we could understand then the nature of our commander-in-chief. The sun plays a unique role in the divine economy, I'll call it, or the, the, the sort of ordering of the kingdom of God, in that he, among other things, is the captain of the Lord's army. He's the one who brings about the expression of God's authority on earth within our time and space. And this captain is present in the story of Joshua and the people as they encounter the walls of Jericho. And if you remember from our study of Joshua back in the, the fall of last year, the end of last summer way, there was a moment when it was clear that the walls were coming down and what were the people of Israel doing at the time? They're just standing there watching. They didn't do anything. They praised God. They, they had, a, they had a, a worship service as they walked around the walls of Jericho and then when they blew the trumpets, the captain of the Lord's army was the one who brought down the walls, who defeated their enemies, the enemies of God even. And so we understand then that the son is the one who fights evil. The one who fights evil and executes God's judgment on evil. Now that's important to us because that makes him our captain. That means that he's the one who vanquishes the enemy for our sake, for the glory of God. And this means that whatever evil you are confronted with, whether it's manifest in the form of sickness and decay, if it's manifest in the form of, of corruption and uh, pride and prejudice and so forth, these are evils that we fight, but if we are following Jesus, then as our captain, as our commander, he leads the battle. He fights the enemy. The captain of the Lord's host has become one of us and joined us in our understanding of life. And then he has done for us what only he could do. He has purchased for us redemption so that we could be in the presence of God and part of God's divine order. The captain has given us victory over everything because he has power over everything. Now, this is sort of metaphorical, but then it's not. It's real. 
It's real because Jesus is the one we're talking about, and Jesus is the one who clearly has power over sin and death because he says to people, be healed, your sins are forgiven. And the religious authorities question him and say, how can you make such a statement? And they're not mistaking his meaning any more than when he says, I am, and he means in the same way God says I am. Jesus has the authority over everything in nature. He's co-creator after all, so that when the most terrible storm fisherman on the Sea of Galilee has ever seen comes up, he simply stands and says, be still, in that moment the storm is ceased. He is the one who, though tempted, isn't thwarted or redirected by Satan with lies and twisted interpretations of Scripture so that when he enters into the wilderness that is so much like every day of our lives and Satan is there whispering lies and taking advantage of our different times of weakness and suffering and preying on us when we're the most vulnerable. He does this to Jesus, but he fails. Because Jesus is the word. He is the very truth that comes from the mouth of God. This is why John the Apostle describes him as the word with a capital W. The very heart and mind of God expressed in a person. And so when we are confronted with evil, we do as our captain does. We follow our captain's lead. The captain of the Lord's host defeats evil by being more steeped in the truth than the enemy, by knowing that our captain has power over the elements, over sickness and disease, over evil people, over humanity, and all of time and space and creation. We are embracing a relationship with a very influential and powerful person. How many of you, if you're honest in your private thoughts, have taken pride in some of the influential relationships that you have? How many of you take comfort in knowing that at a critical moment in your business or in your daily affairs, you can whisper into the ear of someone important and have their assistance when you need it most? How many of you don't know what that's like and probably never will? How comforting it must be to know then that this Jesus who saves you and then is the Lord of your life. That's why I keep calling him the captain or commander. It really doesn't matter if you call him Lord. It means that you submit yourself to his leadership. This military term is just another way of describing how he's in charge and I'm not. And he has more influence over anything than ever could be had in all of human history and beyond. Because he is God the Son. Our captain has proven to us that if we follow his leadership, we will be saved from a sin that brings about our certain destruction. He ought to know it's his job to punish sin, which is to reject God and to defeat the enemies of God. 
in time we'll even see as we stand on the sidelines like the Hebrew people did, like the Israelites did, and watch as he defeats the enemy of God once and for all, as described in Revelation. We'll watch. We'll come with him right up to the finish line, but it'll be the Lord Jesus who crosses, who defeats the enemy, who judges the living and the dead. It will be his word that brings about their destruction. That is his expression of the heart and mind of God. But we will be spared because we have accepted his fighting on our behalf. That means we've accepted that we have no power over the enemy, but he does. And if we stand behind him and recognize that Jesus has defeated the enemy for us, then we have joined ranks with our captain and commander, Lord Jesus. And as we do so, we follow in the safety of his leadership as he delivers us safely home. Home is no longer where we live now because when he made us a new creation by bringing about God's love and grace after accepting a punishment we deserved for us, he brings about a chance for us to be remade in his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, we're one with him and a new creation. Which also means that earth and human things are not the pursuit of our spirits anymore. Our goal is to find our way home and our captain is going to pilot us there. That's the idea behind the connection with our captain of the Lord's hosts. So what do we do to get on board? Well, we admit that we're sinners who have no particular power over evil, especially the evil within us that causes us to reject God. At the same time, we will also experience his welcome into the household of God. As the Apostle Paul tells us, we even become co-heirs with our captain, joining with him in his unique relationship with God so that we are now on a journey to a new home, a permanent home for all eternity. In the meantime, we follow his leadership. We obey him by trying to do as he would do and to honor him by carrying his banner, so to speak. Much of the imagery that you read in your hymnal and much of the imagery that appears in Christian art throughout the ages, you will see this sort of picture over and over again. A lamb with a banner in its teeth, holding a rod with a banner on it, leading the people through his sacrificial suffering and yet his absolute authority over all things. So we follow his lead so that he becomes our captain who takes us home, but he doesn't die forever. By his own authority, he rises from the grave and lives on for eternity. Now, not only captain, but king. Our king and captain who promises us the same kind of eternity if we'll just accept it. If you haven't accepted it, 
Do so today, don't wait. No one knows what tomorrow will bring. And so make sure you're in a relationship with God that forgives and heals and restores you to the image God would have you always to bear as Adam and Eve before the fall. Do you feel like the Lord is defending you? Do you feel like the eternal and invisible battles between good and evil are being fought and won despite the battles you might feel like you're losing right now on earth? I don't feel personally that I'm always getting what I want or seeing the victories that I wish I could get, but I always feel that in the end, the war is won. And it doesn't really matter whether I live or die. It doesn't really matter whether I suffer or I celebrate. It really doesn't matter. This is only a small part of my existence now. And so sometimes I don't get what I want or need, at least as far as I can tell. But in the end, my captain is winning for me a permanent life in a faraway place that he wants to take me to. What about you? Let us pray. Almighty God, we love you. We are your servants gathered to be obedient and faithful to you in every way. For those who haven't let you become the leader of their lives, I invite, Lord, your spirit to direct them now. Let them not leave unchanged. Let them bring you glory through their humble submission and their faithful determination to follow the captain of their lives. Lord Jesus Christ, amen.